guys. Welcome to Fourth Joy, a podcast seeking to inspire and encourage Christ followers as they engage the world with the gospel. I'm Nathan Garrett, your host, and thanks for joining. Welcome, everybody. It's been a while since I have released an episode, and I'm sorry for that. I uh, have not been consistent at all, but from here on out, I'm trying to uh, release one episode per month. Uh, hopefully, I'll be able to get in some kind of groove. Anyways, in this episode, I'm going to be talking about how you can enjoy Dallas in Romania, or wherever you are, and how wonderful it is to experience March, no matter what month it is. The Dallas I'm referring to is Dallas Willard, and what I mean by March is not the month, but the March family from Little Women. Yes, not even a world pandemic can rob us of the joy found in wonderfully written books. Until this last couple of years for me, Little Women was only a classic movie from the 90s. But we had the privilege of listening to the audiobook as a family, and I can't express to you how good it was. Uh, But as good as it is to hear, I was dying to buy myself a copy. And for Christmas, my lovely wife got me a beautiful hardback copy, and so I knew which book would be my first one to start this year. The book follows the March family, which is a family of four girls from ages 12 to 16 at the start of the book. One of the reasons why someone might not even attempt to read the story is because of how long it is, but that's because Louisa May Alcott writes so much about the family, you have the chance to get to really know them. And not only their good qualities, but their flaws as well. And as we get to know each character, it makes for a very good reflection on our own flaws, and and, uh, we get to see how uh, we can grow rather than be defensive about them. For most people, Joe is their favorite character, but I really enjoy Mrs. March. I feel as though she's kind of a motherly Gandalf type, gently offering words of wisdom as it's needed. Listen to these quotes from Marmy March that can be of great benefit to us. She says, When you feel discontented, think over your blessings and be grateful. This line could very well have inspired the hymn, Count Your Blessings. It's such a simple thought, and yet oftentimes too simple. I think it's rather ironic, actually. It's as if to say, let your ungratefulness be a reminder to you that you should be grateful. Let the things that you don't have be a reminder to you of what you do. Listen to this quote from Mrs. March after she had performed an experiment on her daughters where she gave them permission to do none of their chores or work while they were on break from school. The girls ended up being miserable, and then she says, Then let me advise you to take up your little burdens again, for though they seem heavy sometimes, they are good for us and lighten as we carry them. Work is wholesome, and there is plenty for everyone. It keeps us from ennui and mischief, is good for health and spirits, and gives us a sense of power and independence better than money or fashion. And then she says, Have regular hours for work and play, make each day both useful and pleasant, and prove that you understand the worth of time by employing it well. Then youth will bring few regrets, and life will become a beautiful success. Oh, the wisdom of Marmy. How often do we go overboard on either work or play? We always have a tendency to have to swing the pendulum to one side or the other rather than enjoying a pleasant balance. Both work and play are gifts from God. Too much play brings a wasted day, but too much work makes you a jerk. (laughs) There's a fun and quick poem I just wrote that hopefully can prevent you from an unbalanced life. Here's another good quote from Mrs. March on who she turns to when she needs comfort. She says, I have a better friend, even than father, to comfort and sustain me. My child, the troubles and temptations of your life are beginning, and may be many, but you can overcome and outlive them all, 
if you learn to feel the strength and tenderness of your heavenly Father as you do that of your earthly one. The more you love and trust him, the nearer you will feel to him, and the less you will depend on human power and wisdom. His love and care never tire or change, can never be taken from you, but may become the source of lifelong peace, happiness, and strength. Believe this heartily and go to God with all your little cares and hopes and sins and sorrows as freely and confidingly as you come to your mother. Man, there's so much good theology there. She brings about an important matter in such a simple way. As believers, it is hopefully our deepest desire to draw ever nearer to him. Oftentimes we may not feel that nearness, but here Marmy drops a clue. The more you love and trust him, the nearer you will feel to him. And that is the essence of our faith to love God and to believe in the goodness of his character and the trueness of his promises. So really what it comes down to is we must strive to know God better. And fortunately, he wrote us a whole book that we might know him. The faithful study of his word on a daily basis is the key. Every other work or activity that you do each day should come second to making sure you are in his word. For as you read and study, you will grow in wisdom to help you in your other tasks. As you spend time in his presence, he will give you peace even in the most hectic of days. As you turn your gaze not to the news or social media, but instead to the sovereign creator of the universe, you will be reformed each day and not be deceived by the enemy. The more you know him, the bigger he'll become, but also the more accessible. As Mrs. March says, you can go to God with all your little cares and hopes and sins and sorrows as freely and confidingly as you come to your mother. Here's a pithy quote to remember. The sincere wish to be good is half the battle. If you don't have any interest in doing what is good and right, you'll never be good and right. But if you have a desire to be good, that should be just the start and give you hope to grow. My life verse is Psalm 37.4, which says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. As an immature 18-year-old in love, I bought a porcelain heart-shaped plate with this verse on it for my girlfriend, who's now my beautiful bride. I had completely misinterpreted the scripture. I had taken it to mean that if you delight in God, he will give you whatever you want. But now I see that if you delight in him, he will actually place within you new desires, desires for more of him. After all, if you truly delight in God, the desire of your heart is in fact God himself. I'll end our discussion on Little Women with an amazing example of Mrs. March being gentle and vulnerable with her daughter when she needed it the most. This conversation happened after Joe did something terrible to her younger sister. It's my dreadful temper. I try to cure it. I think I have. And then it breaks out worse than ever. Oh, mother, what shall I do? What shall I do? Cried poor Joe in despair. Watch and pray, dear. Never get tired of trying and never think it is impossible to conquer your fault, said Mrs. March, drawing the blousy head to her shoulder and kissing the wet cheek so tenderly that Joe cried harder than ever. You don't know. You can't guess how bad it is. It seems as if I could do anything when I'm in a passion. I get so savage I could hurt anyone and enjoy it. I'm afraid I shall do something dreadful someday and spoil my life and make everybody hate me. Oh, mother, help me. Do help me. I will, my child, I will. Don't cry so bitterly, but remember this day and resolve with all your soul that you will never know another like it. Joe, dear, we all have our temptations, some far greater than yours, and it often takes us all our lives to conquer them. You think your temper is the worst in the world, but mine used to be just like it. Yours, mother? Why, you are never angry. And for the moment, Joe forgot remorse and surprise. I've been trying to cure it for forty years, and have only succeeded in controlling it. 
I am angry nearly every day of my life, Joe, but I have learned not to show it, and I still hope to learn not to feel it, though it may take me another 40 years to do so. Wow, there's so much to unpack here. First of all, the idea of never getting tired of trying to conquer your fault. It can be so easy to eventually accept the fact that you're just always going to lose the fight with your sin. We're all born in sin and will never reach perfection in this body. That's true. But what is not true is that we should simply give up the fight. We need to first of all be passionate in our fight against sin. As John Owen so eloquently put it in his book on the mortification of sin, Do you mortify? Do you make it your daily work? Be always at it whilst you live. Cease not a day from this work. Be killing sin or it will be killing you. Sin cannot be tamed. If you grow comfortable with your pet cat named Sin, someone is eventually going to discover that you were murdered and mauled by a lion. Aside from being passionate, we need to be patient in our fight against sin. Marmy has been battling for 40 years and is now only able to control her outward reactions and is wise enough to see that it's worth it to spend another 40 years working toward not feeling anger. Really, I'd argue that the battle needs to focus on her feelings first, and then the outward reaction will automatically follow. We'll talk a little more about this as we discuss Dallas Willard's book. After Marmy reveals her fight with anger, Joe asks how she improved, and basically it comes down to the fact that she had others who she was accountable to, first her mother and then her husband. If we're really serious about conquering sin, there is no question we need to have someone who knows about our struggle so that they can pray for us, ask us how we are fighting, and fight alongside with us. No one can succeed in the battle against sin on their own. Now we'll be talking about Dallas Willard's book. I'd only really ever heard about Dallas Willard in the last couple years, and really what made me want to read one of his books was because at the end of 2020 I'd read a couple books that were filled with his quotes. Those books were Morgan Snyder's Becoming a King and John Mark Comer's The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, which I highly recommend them both. I'll read the summary of Willard's book from Wikipedia. Renovation of the Heart proposes that the human self is made up of several interrelated components. One's spirit, i.e. one's heart or will, one's mind, or the collection of one's thoughts and feelings, the body, one's social context, and one's soul. Willard argues that one's identity is largely a function of how those components are subordinated to one another, and whether the whole is subordinated to God. Willard argues that popular rejection of subordination to God and the dominance of the body and feelings has resulted in addictions and futile pursuits of stimulation for the body or feelings. Willard argues that the subordinated alignment of one's being can be corrected through apprenticeship to Jesus Christ, which renovates one's heart. Anyways, without further ado, let us now discuss some of the treasures I found in Dallas Willard's book, Renovation of the Heart. Willard says, Those who let God be God get off the conveyor belt of emotion and desire when it first starts to move toward the buzzsaw of sin. They do not wait until it is moving so fast they cannot get off of it. Their aim is not to avoid sin, but to avoid temptation, the inclination to sin. They plan their path accordingly. Ah oh man, this one hit me right between the eyes. How often do we play with the fire of temptation because in our heart of hearts, we actually do want what we know is wrong? It's like the Lay's potato chip advertisement that says, Bet you can't eat just one. We feel like we can take a little taste of temptation, but we end up giving in to sin almost every time. Our goal shouldn't be simply to avoid sin, but we should start way before that. Avoid the temptation. Kill the desire at the moment you feel tempted. Don't play with fire or you're going to get burned. Willard continues by saying, One has to feel strong revulsion toward the wrong feeling one now has, or is likely to have, and at the same time strong attraction to good feeling that one does not now feel. 
This proves to be absolutely necessary in order to put off the old person involving the wrong feeling. So, for example, one does not merely want to not assault others verbally or to not fall into fornication, but he or she really wants to not have the feelings that lead to it and take steps to avoid those feelings. So, just like Jesus' story of the return of the unclean spirit, we can't only be focused on cleaning out the wickedness in our hearts and minds. We need to then stock up and store our hearts and minds with good things. Willard also says this, The human mind and will must be transformed through interaction with thoughts and feelings deriving from the Word and the Spirit. Scripture memory is so good for this. This year, Brittany and I have committed to memorizing the book of Colossians. The great thing about memorizing a larger portion of Scripture is that it's so much to memorize that whenever I can't sleep or I'm standing in a long line or getting an MRI done, I can just cycle through the verses I've got so far. I've just got 14 verses down so far, yet it can take a minute or two to cycle through it. And the more you get it down, the more your thoughts and prayers begin to be affected by the scriptures. Also, memorizing great songs are another way of filling your mind with the good, the beautiful, and the true. There's a really good song by Ellie Holcomb called Fighting Words, which is about fighting the lies with the truth. Willard says, By this point we are beginning to get a glimpse of what those renovated in Christ-likeness look like. We know that they will have a thought life centered on God and His goodness and greatness, and therefore on truth. Also, their feelings will be dominated by the rich array of positive feelings that naturally accompany love, joy, and peace, along with their foundational conditions of faith and hope. In this day and age, it's more common for people to grab their phones immediately after waking up than their Bibles. It's easier to turn the news on than to seek the Lord in prayer. John Mark Comer says in The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry that we become what we give our attention to, for better or worse. I think every person in the world would respond that they want love, joy, peace, and hope, but they give all of their attention to the fear-mongering news and the social media that breeds discontentment and depression, or it numbs all the pain with slapstick humor and silliness. If you want joy, then seek God. If you want love, then seek God. As Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. This next quote cuts right to the heart and can be really convicting, so prepare yourself. He says, What we think is, in the adult person, very much a matter of what we allow ourselves to think, and what we feel is very much a matter of what we allow ourselves to feel. Moreover, what we think is very much a matter of what we wish and seek to think, and what we feel is very much a matter of what we wish and seek to feel. In short, the condition of our mind is very much a matter of the direction in which our will is set. Oh, man, that is so deep. It's been said that the brain only reaches full development at the age of 25. So Willard is basically saying that for those of us who are older than 25, we are responsible for what we think and for what we feel. A lot of these things we can be unaware of. We've been influenced by the beliefs and lifestyles of our parents, our friends, the media, and our culture. For Americans, we likely have been majorly affected by the national ethos of the American dream, which basically means that We all think that the ultimate goal is to be wealthy and successful, which means that we should do whatever it takes to become wealthy and successful, even if it means to compromise our morals or to never enjoy our life because we're too busy becoming wealthy and successful. In order to combat this mindset, we must immerse ourselves in another ethos, that of the kingdom of God, which states that the ultimate goal in life is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. We need to set our heart on the truth that in God's presence there is fullness of joy, at his right hand are pleasures forevermore, that we truly have no good apart from him. Willard shares with us that 
His father was a two-pack-a-day smoker until he was in his 70s. Then one day, in the veterans' hospital where he went for health care, he saw a man smoking with the aid of a special machine that enabled him to smoke even though his lips had been eaten away by cancer caused by smoking. He saw the foolishness of smoking and he believed it. He never smoked another cigarette. That is what belief does, though merely professed belief does not. Belief is when your whole being is set to act as if something is so, and that is how the commands of Jesus finally come to us as we grow. We see them to be reality. It's easy to say that you believe something, but the proof is in the pudding, as they say. Does your life prove that loving God and loving others are the two most important things in the world to you? Does your life prove that you hate sin? We need to beg the Lord to help us see our sin for what it really is, complete foolishness, grotesque and disgusting in the face of a holy God. I think one of the best ways we can use our imaginations is to convince ourselves just how undesirable sin should be for us. John Piper does a really good job with this. He says, It's what happens when a person in the dark fondles an ebony brooch hanging around his neck, and then the lights go on and he sees it's not a brooch, but a cockroach, and flings it away. That's how people are set free from the devil. And until God does that miracle of new birth, we stay in bondage to the father of lies because we love to be able to tell ourselves whatever we please. We keep fondling smooth roaches and warm, fuzzy tarantulas in the dark. Whew! I think we need to be more intentional in our prayers to ask God to reveal to us any areas of our life that we are truly cherishing something wicked or even making light of the seriousness of the presence of sin in our life. Willard says, Individually, we must ask ourselves what are the particular things we need to do in order to bring the triumph of Christ's life more fully into the various dimensions of our being. Are there areas where my will is not abandoned to God's will or where old segments of fallen character remain unchallenged? Do some of my thoughts, images, or patterns of thinking show more of my kingdom or the kingdom of evil? As we talked about earlier, regarding Mrs. March's quote, the sincere wish to be good is half the battle, too often we just stop there. We're content to just have good desires, but put no conscious thought or energy into finishing the enemy off. We think ourselves honorable because we show mercy to our sin, and then we're surprised when we feel sin's dagger in our backs. Christ has overcome sin, death, and the devil. But if we do not immerse ourselves in these truths, we'll be like the man who looks in the mirror and then as he goes about his business, he completely forgets what he looks like. We are frustrated with our slow growth, but we are too often working against ourselves. Willard shares a quote from Andrew Murray. He says, We find the Christian life so difficult because we seek for God's blessing while we live in our own will. We should be glad to live the Christian life according to our own liking. What it all comes down to is who do you want your king to be, sincerely? It's all good and noble to say that Christ is your king, but when it comes to how you spend your money, what you eat, or what you spend your spare time thinking and doing, is it really Christ you are serving, or yourself? Dallas gives a good picture to shoot for when it comes to truly serving our true king. Single-minded and joyous devotion to God and his will, to what God wants for us, and to do service to him and to others because of him, is what the will transformed into Christ-likeness looks like. Single-mindedness, wholeheartedness, fully devoted, these are words that should describe us as believers. As Jesus so wisely stated, if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. We can't live for God and for ourselves. And if you have the sincere wish to be good, and when I say good, I mean Christ-like, then don't just stop there. Seek the Lord daily to help you have your eyes open to the sin that's present in your life. 
Don't be content to let it dwell with you, but put it to death mercilessly by the power of Jesus. Then replace your sinful thoughts and feelings with the truth and goodness of God's character and his promises, and be ever on guard against the temptations of the evil one. If you want to be truly happy, die to yourself and surrender your body, mind, and will to God, allowing Christ to be your life, living in you to do what pleases God. Well, that's it for today. I hope that this episode has been edifying and will be used by God to increase your desires to draw closer to him and to put sin to death in your life. I promise you, if you put all your hope in him, you'll be living for the joy. Thanks for listening.